really face myself and face my life and be like, holy crap, what am I doing? What am I putting out into this world? Do I really like what I'm sharing right now? Is this fully me? Who am I? Like, that's what I kept asking myself. And I feel like a completely different person. I am worthy of love. I am valid as a person. Every person is worthy of love and safety just for being a person. Like they don't have to do anything to prove that. They don't have to do anything to gain that from someone else. Like they are just worthy as they are. And everything else that they do is just a, this great bonus. All Things Con Amor is the pursuit of holistic health, wellness, happiness, love, the things that really set our soul on fire. Enjoy the ride. Today on All Things Con Amor, we have an incredibly wonderful guest, Mariana Dvorska, a prior Gymshark athlete and fitness influencer who has shifted her focus on sharing her passion for health and wellness, joins us to discuss how she's grown into the best version of herself. We really get to know her, beginning with discussing her history with binge eating disorder and learning how 2020 changed her. Mariana simply exudes warmth and authenticity, and I loved everything about this conversation, and I'm so grateful and excited to share her insight with all of you. Before we continue, as mentioned, in this episode, we discuss binge eating disorder and food relationships. If you are struggling or recovering from an eating disorder or find this content triggering, please seek medical help. Neither Mariana nor I are certified in these topics. We are simply sharing our stories and thoughts on today's episode. So if skipping the first half of this episode would be best for you, the rest of the conversation starts at about 20 minutes in, but if not listening to this episode is a way for you to take care of yourself, then always put yourself first. And without further ado, let's get into it. Thank you so much for being here today. This is so exciting. I cannot wait for everyone to listen to all of your insight. I'm, I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, to get started, just for anyone that might not know you yet, can you just share a little bit about your background just to like let people have kind of an overview of who you are? So I started, um, I guess my social media started with um, my weight loss journey video which is, I would say the video that really took off. And when I filmed that video, I was probably about three or four years already into doing social media and it was steadily growing, but it was nothing that was really like significant at the time yet. Um, and so I remember sitting down at the floor of my apartment. Um, I was already living in LA and I, it was probably the most vulnerable video that I've ever made. I talked about my fitness journey and how it started, which it started off in high school. Um, it was like my senior year and I really wanted to look better for prom because up until that point, I was really um, unhappy with what I looked like. I was unhappy with my eating habits. I was just a very unhealthy person. Um, I remember not being able to like walk up three flights of stairs without being really winded. Um, and I knew that that wasn't how it should have been. I was a high school senior. I mean, I should have been in better shape, but I was just, I had no idea um, how to eat properly, how to exercise. And not only that, I had no interest in it whatsoever, but something really clicked senior year. I don't know if it was self-hate, like that self-hate really drove me to finally being like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to change no matter what, or whatever it was, I'm sure it was probably self-hate, um, as sad as it is. And I kind of changed everything overnight. 
I I remember like the thoughts that I was having. I remember that morning where I was like, you know what? Today I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to eat clean. And for me, literally eating clean was I knew I could eat egg whites, oatmeal, chicken, broccoli, rice. Like those are like the things that I could eat and everything else I had to completely cut out. So I went from zero to a hundred really quickly. I started exercising every day after school. I would go to like my little apartment gym and because of that rigid routine, I lost weight. Um, and that weight loss quickly turned into the obsession that I had with basically wanting to be thinner because I was getting tons of validation at school. And I started posting about it on social media. And I felt like I had found this fitness community and I didn't know what was actually happening. I didn't know that I was developing an eating disorder. I didn't know that my body image was actually probably even worse than it was before. They were such, a, they were completely at different spectrums, right? At one point I hated myself for, for being quote unquote too big. And after the weight loss, I hated myself for not being able to become even thinner. So like there was no winning. It's as if, you know, I had reached my goal, but I never actually got to feel that happiness that I thought I would from the weight loss. And so I developed binge eating and I, I even purged a few times. And I remember, again, sitting down and talking about that experience. And it was like the least produced video ever. I completely just like barely edited it. The lighting was horrible. There was like cats yeah. running around in the background. And yeah, it, it got like four four million views and which was crazy I remember like the number kept going up and I was like holy shit like there are so many people that are struggling with this like there are so many women that commented hey like I relate 100% to this I'm going through it or I've gone through it or I feel like I'm in the middle of it and it's it it was heartbreaking in a sense, but also it kind of, I think, built a little bit of a community because a lot of people could look at those com the comments of that video and be like, wow, I'm not alone. Um, and that's something that I felt throughout my entire journey. I felt so alone. I felt so ashamed. I felt like I just didn't have willpower. I should have been stronger. I shouldn't have, that shouldn't have happened. But all that that was doing, those thoughts that I was having, all that they were doing was just throwing me back into this kind of cycle of self-hate. Um, and yeah, because of that, I feel like I was able to build a platform of women. And I, for the longest time, I was a, I was a Gymshark athlete. I was a fitness sort of influencer. And I think I slowly but surely, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, sort of realized that that part of me was kind of I, I've surpassed it. I've got over it. I was just not interested in weightlifting anymore. I wasn't interested in supplements and bodybuilding and, and trying to change my body continuously, trying to fit into this image that I had kind of projected into the world, I guess. And I decided to just take, I guess, take a step back from it and really try to figure out my passion and I'm so much more interested in wellness and health and the overall well-being and how to actually, you know, treat your body right and exercise and eat in a way that is actually good for your overall health. Um, and for me, that just wasn't bodybuilding anymore. And it wasn't tracking your food and it wasn't continuously just being so hyper-focused on what you look like. I feel like I just developed a very different style of 
working out now and eating and everything else. And I feel like I'm a knock on wood, but I feel pretty good. I feel like I'm at my best so far. So that is a, a little overview, I guess. <laughs> I first off, um, honestly, I'm sure like you are proud of yourself, but I am so proud of you for taking a step back from everything because I, I think I started following you like back when that video kind of blew up because something that all of my listeners are going to be shocked about is the fact that I have also struggled with food. And I think that every single woman at some point in their life has had some type of unhealthy relationship with it. So I really admired you for starting the conversation about that. And again, making people feel like they were less alone. Like that's such an important thing that everybody needs and need like needed and currently needs. And you know that this podcast is super revolved around like pursuing the things we love. So that was why I was like, you would be the literal dream candidate for that because <laughs> I watched you do that over this past year. And do you think uh, in terms of the binge eating, there's anything specific like within your history that might have contributed to it? Um, I think what it I think the amount of kind of self shame and self hate that I had for myself definitely pushed me down that road because all that I felt was that validation from people being like, "Oh my God, you look so much thinner. You look great." Like that is kind of what I would used to hear all the time. So I associated, okay, weight loss equals feeling thinking that other people find me attractive or find me, you know, whatever. And I had to continue doing that. I, I couldn't just stay in that one spot. And when I couldn't do it anymore, that's when I restricted even more. And when my body was in that horrible state of restriction, like at some point it's going to force you to, to put food into yourself. I mean, really that's all that it is. So it was a cycle that I was stuck in because I thought that the answer to binge eating was again, more restriction. So I would binge and then I would restrict for a week and a half. And then I would binge again. And then I would feel this overwhelming amount of shame. So I would binge, or so I would restrict even more, even harder. So like the harder I restricted, the worse my binges would be. And I was so confused. I was like, where do I go from here? Because I'm in, I'm just going around in circles now. It was a very hard time in my life too, because it's hard being a young woman in in this world, especially, I mean, we're changing every day. And I think people are so much more vocal about certain things now. But at that time, that wasn't really the case. There was not a lot of, I mean, maybe I wasn't looking in the right places, but I didn't find any kind of information about it. And I come from a family of like immigrants who are Eastern European and our culture is very kind of you suck it up. You, you stay strong and you don't, you know, things aren't really ever that bad, I guess. Um, so I always just felt like I just need to get over it. Like I, you never think that it's happening to you. Right. I just like when people get sick, sometimes they, they, they don't, they always say like, well, I, I knew that this could happen, but I didn't think it could happen to me. So I think that that's kind of where I was. And that's, I was in denial for like the longest time. And then obviously made it even worse. That really hurts my heart, but I'm so glad that you're not in that place anymore. So a really big point you made that I think is super important is especially for like first generation, like I'm first, you're the zero generation because you moved here, but I am first generation both sides. My dad is from Syria and my mom is from Colombia. And like you said, in other cultures, mental health is not a thing at all. It's, it's not talked about enough. And so I think it's so important to highlight that aspect of it and that people are going through it, that there is help to get them out of it. And 
it also hurts my heart, like for your body, since I'm in med school, I know exactly like how starved your cells were for nutrients. And that's what caused that cycle. So for anybody that is struggling with their relationship with food right now, do you think you could give them some type of advice on how to kind of build their relationship with food? I mean, obviously always recommending getting professional help Any anything that like really helped you in terms of turning around the way you viewed food. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think it's really important to give people advice on this. And I know that there are going to be people who are going to disagree with me because they're going to say that everyone is, I'm not a professional and, you know, and I get that. I totally get that. But I also know that it is one, so freaking expensive to get professional help. And a lot of people are not in a position to do so Two, They're not in a position to even open up about it. To be able to go get help is you have to get to a step where one, you accept that you have a problem. Two, you accept that you have to get help. Three, you have to go find that help. Maybe you can find someone in your family and they tell you, no big deal, suck it up, you know? So uh, I struggle with it because I know that I don't want to give bad advice, but I also know that there are things that I can recommend for someone to do that could help them. And that's where I'm like, where, where do I do I cross that line? Do I start giving advice on it, like very specific direct advice? Or do I kind of hold back and just say, get professional help where, yeah, I mean, everyone's going to tell you to get professional help. But again, it's like, there's a very small percentage of people that are going to get to that point. And I do think that getting professional help to me tremendously, but at first, you know, the first thing that I think you have to do is it, you know, you start healing your relationship with food after a binge, right? I think so because it is such a cycle you're not going to break it before a binge because chances are you're going to continue binging it's going to happen even after you decide that it's a problem even after you address it and you kind of come to the conclusion that yes this is something you need to fix it's still going to continue to happen because for a lot of people it's a coping mechanism for stress for a lot of people it's just routine almost so I think that you start to fix it by not restricting yourself after a binge And that is very difficult to do. It's very difficult not to, you know, you have to fight. I I talked about this on my podcast. Like you have to fight your own brain basically at some point because right after a binge, your initial response is going to be, I have to restrict. So what I started doing is after I would binge, I made myself like a meal plan pretty much. And I said, I have to stick to this meal plan. It had at least... 1600 calories in it like I remember plugging it all into my fitness ball and I was like okay this is what I have to eat after every time that I binge and it was difficult and I remember crying because I had to eat all this food and 1600 calories is not a lot but it just shows you that like after a binge I would sometimes eat like 400 to 600 max for like weeks basically or like an entire week before I would binge again so giving myself that higher calorie meal plan assured that my body wasn't going into that restriction mode and it would almost put a lot more room in between my binges so I went from binging once a week to then every three weeks and so then I would like up my calories after you know again I would go to like 1800 and start to eat more and more and more and you just train yourself basically and that period after you know, after the binges is really hard because you'll feel very inflamed. You just, all you want to do is go exercise. All you want to do is go restrict yourself. So you go back down to kind of your natural set point, but that's where you have to, that's where you have to fight it. And 
again, should I be saying this? I don't actually know. I, I struggle with it every day because I know that there's different methods that you can use, but that is what I did. And that's what helped me tremendously. I just put bigger time blocks in between my binges by giving myself more food. I, as always, get professional help. Of course, of course, dietitians and, and therapists, they'll be able to come up with a plan for you. But um, again, I do think that because it's such a cycle, you have to break it at some point and that's where you break it. But you just have to accept that like you're going to probably not feel too good for a little bit of time, for probably a couple of months as your body gets used to this new way of eating and living and understanding that it won't get restricted again after you binge. And as you learn that, you will develop a more trusting relationship with your body and yourself. And, you know, I also think it's important to delete your fitness pal, delete whatever other apps, life somewhere, whatever else. And it's, it's, you know, I've worked with these apps before because at that point in my life, I used them and I believed in them because that's what I was seeing online. I was seeing people tracking their macros and recommending that, which is where the things that you recommend on social media are. So uh, that's a whole other, I guess a whole other conversation, but yeah. <laughs> I, I totally relate to that. I think my relationship with food really didn't change until I did delete my fitness pal, but it's so hard because once you know how many calories are in something, you can never forget it. So it's always kind of lingering. But in terms of the whole like concern about whether or not you should be sharing these things, I really, really struggled with that when I first started my podcast. And I've, I only started my podcast like a month ago, I have like five episodes, but I was talking to my friends about it. And my friend Anton was like, okay, yes, there are all of these like degrees and certifications that other people have, but they don't necessarily quantify to the way that they can speak to people on a level that people can relate to always. And he said something that really, really stuck with me and hopefully like it'll stick with you too. He said that he thinks that life experience is enough of a certification in and of itself. Like having gone through something and sharing your experience, like you don't have to be licensed to share that in order for people to feel seen and feel less alone. Because a lot of the topics I talk about are just things I've read a lot about in terms of like mindfulness and meditation and changing your mindset about things. Because I also really struggled with a lot of self-hate uh, and I was like, I'm not like a licensed therapist or psychiatrist. Like, who am I to be speaking about this stuff? But at the same time, if it's making a positive impact in even one person's life, like it, it's worth the concern to me. Does that make sense? It totally, totally makes sense. And I'm sitting here like shaking my head as you're speaking, because I, I agree. I think that there's something so vulnerable. I actually totally side story, but uh, my boyfriend knew someone who had a daughter that was really struggling. She was at its at her worst with an eating disorder, <clears throat> and her she, they went to specialists, they went to doctors, to therapists, dietitians. Nothing was working. She refused to eat. She refused to talk to anyone. She was like 18 years old, and he had mentioned to the mom that I went through something similar. And the first time that we met, and I kind of just talked to her about like my story she just spilled her guts out and we had the most like intimate vulnerable conversation and later on her mom was texting me like hey she's like she's talking she's opening up and I that's the thing I think that people feel a little bit better when they can when they know that that this other person has been through it too that they know that like they've been at that rock bottom too. And not only that, it gives them a little bit of hope that it can get better. I also remember trying to find people on YouTube and Instagram that have talked about 
their eating disorder recovery stories. And I, I found those very helpful and I know that they can also be triggering. So it's a very fine line, but I do agree. I think I, I like that you said that you don't need a license to tell your story. And that's really all that it is. Um, it's not like I'm sitting here saying, hey, or you know, trying to sell a meal plan that's gonna fix your binge eating. Like, of course not, of course not. But to be able to tell your story and maybe just give someone an idea of a starting point, I think that that is important and helpful. I agree. Thank you for that. Cause it also like reassured me that I am valid in telling my own story and my own path. So transitioning from food and relationships with food, uh, I want to know more about you and how this past year has really changed you and how you were able to grow into the things you really love and start sharing those. So, oh man, the beginning of 20, no, not the beginning, the beginning of COVID basically a year ago, I really I kind of hit rock bottom. Um, The COVID started and I was like losing my mind. (laughs) Honestly, it sounds, it sounds bad, but I think, I think a lot of people are in the same position. We all lost our distractions. For me, my distractions was the gym. It was like making little to-do lists, going to coffee shops, working all the time and putting working, working in quotation marks because I, I would like go to coffee shops and just like kind of do mindless stuff. And I, like, I thought that I was fine. I I thought that everything was okay in my life. Yeah. I didn't realize like, and it's again, COVID was one of the things that when it happened, yeah, it was really bad. But what was worse for me personally was just like the, the fact that it forced me to really face myself and face my life and be like, holy crap, what am I doing? What am I putting out into this world? Am I enjoying my content? Like, do I really like what I'm sharing right now? Is this fully me? Who am I? Like, that's what I kept asking myself. And and, it, and things were really bad. You know, people were getting sick and losing their jobs and their businesses. And it was it was just a very, very hard time. And I really felt like, like I, I was experiencing signs of depression. Um, and I'm going to use that word very lightly, but I just had no motivation for anything. And so I started writing, I was like, what can I do with my time now that I don't have anything? <laughs> I started writing a book, something that I really always wanted to do. I was like, I really enjoy writing. Like this could be a very creative outlet for me that I'm looking for. And I decided that I wasn't doing it to like, release it into the world I just wanted to do it I just wanted to write and if I will release it later sure cool but if not it is just for me and that was really empowering to me because for the most part I would always just do things that were like I need to progress farther in my business I need to progress farther as like a person on social media whatever but this was just like I just I'm just gonna do it because it sounds fun so I started writing that book and I was kind of halfway through and I was writing about very personal experiences that happened when I was little that that my relationship with my with my father and my move to the US and then my eating disorder and kind of the worst, most painful parts of all of those things. And at first I felt super empowered by it. I was like, this is so great. I feel I feel like I'm I'm really letting these things out. And then really quickly it because of everything else that was happening in the world, I was like, this is really painful. Like I have a lot of painful things that I, I think I was really just suppressing within myself and pretending that everything was fine and pretending that I didn't have to deal with them because they're over because they're in my past, but really they were affecting me day to day. They were affecting the person that I was. So 
I was like, I need therapy. <laughs> I really do. And I started therapy probably about two or three months into the pandemic. And we really uncovered a lot of the things that I was suppressing. Yeah, I just I really didn't realize like how much trauma I had from my childhood, um, how affected I was by the fact that like my parents moved when I was five and I didn't see them for five years, how affected I was by the fact that you know, at then at 10, I moved and I didn't get to see my grandparents who were at that point, my parents, right? I grew up with them. I mean, my grandparents were just, they were my whole world and they really, they really overcompensated for my parents being gone. So my grandma was like really involved in all of my school and super, she just really never wanted me to miss them. And I really you know, I, I, as much as I appreciate that, what that took away was the conversation that we could have had, like me just asking them questions about it. But because I felt like I didn't want to hurt their feelings, we just almost never talked about it. It was one of those things. It's just like, yeah, mom and dad are in the US and you're here and that's it. Like, we just don't really, we don't necessarily discuss it. Um, But then when I moved at 10, I lost them. So I think basically every five years of my life, I was like losing people that I really cared about. And it's very interesting because I went through a really bad breakup and I was with this person for six years. So that timeline is very, very close. I didn't know that all those things were like sitting inside of me and kind of projecting this person that I was, who was very insecure, codependent. I didn't know that I was codependent because I was like, well, I left my my relationship of six years. But what I realized with my therapist was that I could have left that relationship two or three years earlier on. I had very clear cut signs that this was not for me, but I stayed because what I was getting from this person was validation that they loved me and reassurance that they loved me, that they weren't going to leave me. And that was that's all that I wanted from a person. Like everything else didn't matter. The fact that our ideas of life didn't really, we were never on the same page. We were never on the same page about a lot of different things, but because he just always said, hey, I'm, I'm never gonna leave you. I was like, oh, this is great because a lot of people have left me. <laughs> and so then I spent that, like almost a year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half, maybe a little bit over a year and a half single. That was a very interesting time in my life because as much as I thought that that was a time where I like grew and really, really stepped into my own skin, was my own person. All that I was doing was I was just drinking a decent amount and I put that codependency on a friend. <laughs> so I was just like constantly with this one friend. And, and I think we were all, we were both kind of just each other's uh, partner to be codependent on. And we, again, didn't realize that as well. And so being in this new relationship that I am now in. And at that point, when I started therapy, we were together for about a year. And I was like, well, I'm definitely like, I don't feel safe. I never felt safe in any relationship. And that's when like all the things that we started to uncover in in therapy. And I feel like a completely different person. I say this all the time, but I'm just like, holy shit. I didn't realize how much I was looking for other people to to tell me who I was, to tell me that they loved me, to to tell me how to feel. You know, if someone else's mood was affected or if someone else had a bad mood, it would affect me. I would think, oh my God, what did I do? How, what, what can I do to fix it? Whereas now, like if, if someone walks in through the door and, and their mood is bad, I'm like, well, what can I do to fix it? And if not, do you need some time by yourself? Like I'm, I'm not going to be affected by it because I know it has nothing to do with me. And I think that that really stemmed from again, 
my relationship with my dad, his mood would change kind of all the time. And I always thought that that it was personal. And I didn't even, you know, it's crazy because I don't have a lot of these memories. I mean, I was five when I lived with him and that was the last time that I lived with him. Yet still that really affected me of how personally I took everything and how scared I was of someone leaving me and all these other other things. So being able to really get to the bottom of it and realize that none of it was my fault. I had nothing to do with it. And I am worthy of love. I am valid as a person, regardless of what I do. You know, that's another thing. I always put my own worth on how much education I have, how far I go into in, you know, within my career and how much I accomplish. But it's like, Every person is worthy of love and safety just for being a person. Like they don't have to do anything to prove that. They don't have to do anything to to gain that from someone else. Like they are just worthy as they are. And everything else that they do is just this great bonus. But that's something that I really had to learn. I'm like, honestly, like almost tearing up. I can't wait for everyone else to hear this and learn from this because I relate to that on so many levels. Like my dad is also, his mood was kind of like the way the house felt. And so I always was like, what did I do wrong? And I, that, that reflects on the way I handle my relationships with people. Now I'm constantly like, if I don't hear from them quickly, I'm like, are they mad at me? And that's something I've had to work really hard to unlearn. And people underestimate the way our childhood shapes us. When you're that young, that's when your brain is the most malleable. And that's when I read this thing that really changed me. It was like, what if you considered all of your toxic traits? um, I have air quotes going on, but what if you considered those as things you should love about yourself because they were the ways your body handled things when you were little and they were the ways you learned to get self-love when you were little and they were the ways you survived instead of berating yourself for them being like thank you for doing your best to keep me safe like that was really eye-opening for me and thank you so much for sharing that was that was like really vulnerable and it was really beautiful and uh in terms of seeking like self-love and really getting to being more confident and finding a way to not blame yourself for everything. What is something that helped you really get to that point? Um, What really helped me get to that point was realizing, like, I remember one thing my therapist said was like, she was like, you really don't give yourself enough credit because you did so many hard things on your own. Yet right now you're so scared of being alone. You're scared of being left. You're scared of facing this world when in reality, like you've been facing this world sort of on your own. And every five years you would like lose everything that you, that was considered your safety, yet you recovered. And like you said, you survived. And that's one of the things that I was like, holy shit, you know, she's really, she's right. Like I am a very resilient person. I have this resilience inside of me that like I can, I can do anything on my own. And I always, uh, you know, that imposter syndrome where I would always be like, well, it was just circumstance. And like, I remember thinking like, well, social media, I mean, really, it was an accident. I just sat on the floor and I just, I told my story, but like, yeah, but that took guts. And and that's the reason why, you know, so many people related to it because you sat there and you opened up about these vulnerable things. So she's like, not only were you able to, you know, persevere through all those things, you're still this like open person who has communication skills and all these other other things that I think a lot of people can't, like when they go through trauma in childhood, there's just a lot of things that they miss. And I think that that really clicked for me where I was like, okay, wow, she's right. I really didn't help. Of course I had help from my parents when I moved at 10 years old. Like I didn't do that on my own, but I survived on my own. I really had to realize that to be like, okay, 
wow, like I'm good. I'm good. Regardless of who walks into my life or walks out of my life, I'm good. And I think that I kind of, I like there, it was always deep down inside of me, which is why I was able to leave my ex at some point. But the fact that it took me so long is what I needed to like heal because I really needed, I was like hyping myself up for a year and a half being like, I would, I would dismiss a lot of things. And then I would be like, no, no, this is really wrong. Like, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. And then finally, finally, I was, I was able to leave that. But my therapist was like, we need to really, you need to validate your own emotions way sooner. You need to tell yourself that you are enough and that you're, you're okay. And you need to set boundaries and you need to you set boundaries with yourself, not just with other people. Like if you say, I'm not happy three more times, if you run into three, you know, three scenarios where you're like, well, this is a deal breaker for me, then that's it. You got to walk out. And that's not just romantic relationships as any relationships. And, you know, it's really, it's really helped my relationship with my dad. And also um, if you like a long-term friends that I was kind of just a punching bag for <laughs> that, because I never really set any boundaries, they always felt very entitled to my time and my emotions and everything else. And when you start setting those boundaries, people are really thrown off. Like I remember having conversations with my dad and I was like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. And he, that was like the first time that those words have ever come out of my mouth. And he was like, who do you think you are talking to me this way? And I was like, I'm a 25 year old woman basically. So if you don't, you know, that doesn't depend on you in any way, shape or form. So if you want to have a relationship with me, we don't talk about these things and you don't talk to me in that way. And that's it. And if you, if you feel any other way about it, you can call me later. And that's really hard because again, I really didn't stand up for myself almost ever my entire life. So I remember, you know, I, I'm saying this very confidently now, but when I was saying it at first, I was like, oh my God, what am I saying right now? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's all that it is. You just start, start to set boundaries and it's been great for my dad and I, because he knows where I stand. And I think he sees me as a different person and not this weak little girl anymore. And same with other people in my life. And, but most importantly is that I don't see myself that way anymore. And I think that that's what really changed, changed my relationship with me. I really had to kind of like my therapist said, like, imagine this 10 year old girl that's sitting there and she's scared and she's alone and she's using whatever is at her, her disposal to survive. So if you had to, you know, become a people pleaser, it's because you didn't, you know, you didn't want to be seen at, seen at some point, you didn't want to cause confrontation or conflict or any of those things. And that's why you chose that route and you have to accept it. And you have to understand that, that you did that to survive and just like give her a hug, like, you know, validate her emotions. And when you do that, you, you really start to like, you know, get in touch with your ego, which is again, that young self. I like love all of that. I think boundaries are so important. And I think that it's, it's really scary because when you start to change, people do get mad at you for it because they don't expect it from you and they kind of feel like you're wronging them in some way. And so that's when it really, it's like, have you seen the the TikTok meme where it's like me like saying no in an email and like the coffee cup is spilling everywhere. Yeah, 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 like yeah. Every time I try to stand Same. up for myself, like I'm really bad at saying no or like even saying like, 
no with an like and not explaining myself that's something I really struggle with is like you don't have to explain yourself to anyone you know and another really important thing that I once heard from actually this like crazy famous therapist what's her name her name is Esther Perel she like does podcast interviews of couples and so something really important that she said was that a lot of people think you have to be single to grow and change yourself but in reality our relationships are the way we interact with the world and the way we perceive ourselves so like the most growth can really occur in relationships. So you don't have to be single to do all the growing. And I think that's something that everyone can be reminded of. They don't have to like be on their own and go through this journey. Uh, It can Mm -hmm. be done at any point. And with relationship advice, how do you live with your significant other and keep like a balance between everything? Because I like live alone and this is something I'm actually really curious about. Oh man, honestly, it's really hard. (laughs) And not because it's hard as in like, it's hard to live with him because it's amazing to live with him but it's hard to like spend time on our own because we like love spending time together so we are constantly in this kind of like okay we're gonna we're gonna like spend the day apart right and then it just almost never happens because it's just so nice to like be around each other I mean he's he has the best energy he's truly been like my rock through me my therapy sessions the amount of like panic attacks that I had where he just like held me and helped me but we have a really great friendship um and I think that that's really important like we always look at each other and like you're my best friend (laughs) like he really is and I think the way that we balance things is like we never have blow up fights. Like we've never, we've never been in in an argument where we're like screaming at each other or where the other person's like super angry saying hurtful things. That's never the case. Um, I feel like our fights are always us trying to explain ourselves, but also keeping in mind to like validate the other person's feelings and, and really get to, it's always like, we always say it's us against the issue versus us against each other. So that helps a ton. Really trying our best to take some time apart during the day because it's important when you're living with your significant other, of course. And really focusing on like the quality time because it's really easy to get into this routine of just spending time together and doing things together all the time. But quality time is really important. So we just try to make that a priority. But in reality, I think that we make really good, we're, we're good matches to each other in terms of like personality. So it's for the most part, I'm going to knock on wood again. <laughs> for the most part, it's been it's been pretty easy. But yeah, just helping each other whenever we can. Like he's always willing to help me with any YouTube videos or podcasts or or whatever. And I'm I'm helping him with his auditions and being there, supporting each other as much as we can. That's it's really all that you can do. And we now have this puppy that's <laughs> uh, really been like our baby. Like we say, this is our baby. <laughs> So it's at this point, it feels like family. And um, that really just makes it easier because I'm like, it's never again, it's never us against each other. It's always just us against whatever it is that the other person's feeling and how can we fix it? What can we make better? I love that. I think it's, it's really, really important to keep that perspective, especially because when people say like the mean and hurtful things, especially when they don't mean them, those words never really go away. So like trying to keep that compassion for each other is so important. And also I love Bernie. He is so cute. I I'm like mom and dad, so wholesome. So I'm sure working out that balance between like who does what with him and stuff that also has grown you guys a lot. I bet any responsibility you take on together. 
Absolutely. And that's another thing. We divide responsibility really well, like without even really having to have the conversation and not that it's it's totally great to have a conversation. Like if you're feeling something, have the conversation, but somehow even when we first like moved in together, we kind of just fell into this routine of like, I do the cooking because that's what I love to do. Like I love to cook. I love to bake. It's, it's a passion of mine. It really is a stress reliever. And he like will always do the dishes afterwards and um, he'll take out the trash and do like all these other things. So we've just always had a really easy way to divide responsibilities and he's always willing to help. And, um, and as am I, it's kind of like wherever we can, we do. And that obviously just makes it, it makes it easier. And it's so crazy because Bernard has the exact same personality mix of Nick and I, like, I swear it's, it's so crazy, but he's this very, like I, I always say he's like a little socially awkward, very like calm and collected, you know, is an introverted extrovert to where he loves to spend time alone, but he's like pretty good in social situations. He had to warm up to it, of course, at first. But um, yeah, he's just this really like we really lucked out. The other day in my yoga video, I had the the ambulance sirens going on and I was like I would cut these out but like this is real life so I'm gonna this leave is. them in like, <laughs> like chopper yeah inside my house but hey yeah he's such a great he's like truly the best dog I know that I'm biased I know that I am but every time people meet him they're like wow he's super calm like we can take him to restaurants and he'll just like sleep and he'll sit he doesn't really have any like fast movements or <laughs> he'll never like snap at anyone he's just a very kind of like observant dog and I'm like this this is our baby like for sure (laughs) I really really believe in the whole have you noticed that like when you go on walks dogs look like their owners like they definitely like sense each other pick each other out on some level Mm -hmm. I really believe in that stuff um and I I love that you guys have such a nice balance it's so nice to hear and so reassuring for whenever I end up living with my significant other. But in terms of you mentioned that you were really passionate about cooking and baking, how did you figure out what it was that you were passionate about? And then how did you allow yourself to start sharing more of that really being like, this is what I love. So this is what I'm going to be posting. This is what I'm going to be adding value to the world in terms of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I uh, had to really ask myself, like, what do I enjoy to do in my day to day life? And it just wasn't filming workout videos anymore and I um so I was like well what do I what do I like to do like what do I still like to film and I was like I love food videos I do I enjoy watching them myself I enjoy like trying new recipes and I enjoy making things healthier because I went through a point I had copper toxicity which was just horrible and it gave me really bad IBS so I had to cut out dairy and gluten I just remember feeling like well damn I love food but I can't eat a lot of these things so I was like well I'll try creating recipes for people who who have the same issues so it's always like is there an issue and is there something that I enjoy doing that could maybe help someone with this issue that's how I try to look at it and that's how I got into this wellness realm of um, you know having balanced hormones balanced eating balanced outlook on life I think I love it all so much because I think it all ties together you know your mental health and your physical health and your overall well-being are so tied together whereas before I was very much focused on your physical health and that just wasn't completing all these all these other things that were so important but yeah that's that's kind of how I try to look at it. (laughs) 
I think that's a really good perspective. And I think I, a lot of people also don't really, because society has this weird priming method where they're like, oh, like you have to do certain things to do certain jobs to be productive. They don't really realize that they can do the things they love and still, you know, not necessarily like, even if it doesn't have to do with money, like do them anyway. Yeah. I, I love those posts that are like, even if you're bad at singing, like sing, mm-hmm. do, do the things that make you happy. And then I am so grateful for all the time you've given me. Just to close this out, uh, what would be like your favorite book or person to learn from that you think you could recommend to other people that you really learned a lot from? Well, first of all, the host of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, Carlo and Heil, changed my life. (laughs) It was one of those things where I was doing therapy and I was like, okay, I know I'm learning all these things and I know that I'm like taking it in and I'm going through these painful memories back, but... When I listened to her podcast, it was as if something inside of me just snapped. And I was like, wow, it really all makes sense. Like it really just, she tied it all together for me. I love her ideas and like thought work and how much you are really in control. And, you know, your thoughts are what creates your feelings. And I totally agree with that because you can have completely different thoughts on one situation and have completely different feelings on that same situation based on what you're thinking. So she really taught me so much. I can't recommend her podcast enough. And I really love the way she talks about stuff because it's never too serious. Like she'll talk about uh, the first episode, her first podcast episode that I listened to was on attachment styles. And I was like, oh my God, I'm definitely like this one specific um, anxious attachment style. And she's like, no big deal. You know, society teaches women to be anxiously attached because we're taught that we have to fight for male attention and we have to fight each other on it. And that when you get it, you're validated. So of course, you're always anxious because you're constantly looking for someone to like validate who you are. Whereas men are often avoided attachment because that's what, again, that's what they're taught. They're taught to take their time and they're taught to you know, really be sure with who they pick and to make sure that they're whoever they pick like fits checks in all these boxes, whereas we're not really women are not taught to like, ask for things or look for certain things. We're just taught, oh, he likes you. Well, you should you should probably, you know, take that before it's gone. And it's just great. She's so sure of herself. She's I mean, really, I couldn't recommend her podcast enough. And then another book that's kind of on the more sensitive side of things is it's called uh, self-compassion self-compassion because that's something that I had to that was the first thing that my therapist taught me she's like we need to work I was like teach me confidence and she's like I'm gonna teach you self-compassion and I was like wait no no no, that's not what I asked for and she's like no no believe me that's what you asked for being able to because I'm a very empathetic person like I feel other people's pain so that's really hard but I could never feel my own pain I was always like dismissing my own experiences and my own pain because I thought that they weren't painful enough basically and she's like you need to learn how to have self-compassion for your for you self-compassion death that's that's what it is you need to learn how to have self-compassion um and that's when you will have self-acceptance and when you have self-acceptance you will seem confident to other people because you're not going to be looking for someone else to tell you who you are how to feel or whatever like it's just not going to affect you because all that's going to matter is how you feel about yourself and so i really recommend that book because the woman um i like how it's there's lessons in it, but there's also this story that she's telling, like her own story that she's telling throughout this book. And it's really, it's painful. It's raw. It's very vulnerable, but like, I loved it. It really, really helped me. So those are the top two. I think that I recommend. I also love the Lexi podcast because I think, um, I don't know if you, if you follow her, but she's great. She's super just like an interesting person. And I love that she has this 
ability to like really let the world know what she thinks whereas I'm still working towards that I'm still very like socially and like politically correct in many ways and I really like that she just kind of owns her opinions about the world I think that's great and I I, I want to move more towards that basically and be able to talk about those topics because I think I'm still a little scared I'm still a little like oh my god what if I offend someone by saying this but it's like just say it just say it unless you're like you know racist say less then right exactly say less, say less. <laughs> yes um that's something that I really struggle with still like whenever I film solo episodes I'm like oh my god what if someone takes this the wrong way but there are people who will always be committed to misunderstanding you and that's just them projecting mm-hmm. and that gives me a lot of reassurance that I'm like I, I can't please everyone. And if I continue to attempt to do so, I'm never going to be the person I want to be. And the person I want to be matters more than the opinions of others. Yes, so. I love that. I love that. Exactly. That's the motto. Yes. <laughs> it's to live by. Oh, my heart is so happy. I could honestly talk to you for ages if that was all the I know, me too. <laughs> you. Whenever you come to New York, I am here. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I love New York. Oh, I Lord, love their donuts and bagels. and Yes. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Like it really means a lot. You also helped me so much with like setting up my own podcast, which is, oh, you were so nice about it. And I'm always like so scared to ask for help, but yeah, yeah I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Thank you again. This has been like such a great conversation. Like I, I could totally continue talking, but my like, heart we can is do really- another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We can definitely do a part two. We can do a Q and a on Instagram and see what people have for us. Yeah. Um, all of my sweet followers that don't already know Mariana, we can find her on Instagram. It's just your first and last name. I'll have it all spelled out in the bio. Um, She also has a really, honestly, like your YouTube videos are my favorite to watch. They're just like, they're easy to watch and they're very wholesome. Thank you again. My heart is so full. So that was all we had for you today. But as we said, we have so much to share with you. Mariana recently started her own podcast called Say Less, where she has the best insight and listening to her episodes makes you feel so seen and understood. I'm, again, just so grateful to have gotten to share her story with you all and learn from her. Again, her page will be linked in the description of this episode, and you can find more about this podcast on Instagram at allthingsconamor, or find me at Stephanie Arnack. The post about this episode on All Things Con Amor will contain a swipe with resources if you or a loved one is struggling with an eating disorder. If you would like a part two with Mariana, let me know, and we'll see what we can do. I love talking all things health, wellness, and love with you all, and so this episode really perfectly encompassed those topics. Enjoy your day, and as always, sending you so much love and light.